0: UVA has its new football coach, a guy who knows a thing or two about winning in the ACC. Conference basketball games are getting going, but both the Hoos and Hokies are struggling on the hardwood. This week on Teal & Barber. Welcome in to Episode 71 of Teal & Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here, as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you, my friend?
1: Good morning, Mike. We haven't seen each other in a while, huh?
0: (laughs) It's been a a whole day. It's been a whole day since uh, the news team assembled here in in Charlottesville. Uh, We'll certainly get into Tony Elliott's introduction and... um, All that surrounded that and basketball, we mentioned in the opening, uh, things not looking maybe as promising as, as we had hoped, but let's be positive. Let's be happy, David, because it is, it is the holiday season and that's a wonderful time of year.
1: Absolutely. It, um Tiny Teal is uh, I'm sure the barber children is in rare form right about now. Yeah.
0: They they anytime they do anything wrong in this house, they immediately pause to think, did I just get put on the naughty list? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem to be stopping the misbehaving, but it gives pause immediately thereafter. So <laughs> you take I don't what know you can get, brother. Yeah. I guess that's worth something. I'll tell you, we did take them uh we live over here in Charlottesville and the Boars Head Resort, uh they do this, this, uh, winter wander where they illuminate all the trees. They decorate around this pond and, um, they've got food out there. And, uh, we took the kids and, and walked around that and, you know, I wasn't sure how they were going to do because I think, you know, for grownups, it's, it's kind of like going on a fall foliage tour, right? Like we love to look at the changing colors and those kind of things. And, you know, kids lose, lose their interest <laughs> fairly quickly. Um, but I'll tell you, we went around, we did the whole loop, we did the whole thing, we went and, and saw Santa and got some pizza, and, and then my son said, can we do it again? So we, <laughs> we got some exercise as a family. We did the two laps. David, I'm curious, uh, in your house, or, or maybe specifically for you, where are you at in terms of the Christmas shopping? Uh,
1: as in, I haven't started? <laughs>
0: well that's an answer right
1: it, it, it is but but i'm fortunate in that jill handles 99 percent of it and that's her jam and god bless her for it and i have very few responsibilities
0: no that's i i, I love selecting gifts i love buying gifts it's um i don't know if it's a guilty pleasure but um I can tell you, you know, we talk on this podcast about supporting journalism and uh, I'm doing my part to support Jeff Bezos, at least, because I, I get uh, Amazon packages here uh, multiple times a day. It's, you know, it's I make fun of my wife because that happens throughout the year for her, but this time of year, uh, the mailman, the UPS guy, the FedEx delivery driver, uh, those packages all have my name, and um, I'm in pretty good shape, I, uh, except for some family members who aren't here, and I haven't decided yet what to to ship them. For for the immediate family, uh, I think I've checked everything off my to-do shopping list, which is one good accomplishment, I suppose. This Absolutely,
1: time year. well played.
0: So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how much work I've gotten done, and I don't, I don't know that I'm up to date on my expense reports. But uh, stockings will be stuffed, and there'll be gifts under the trees. So we got that down. Virginia fans, they got their gift under the tree with their new football coach, Tony Elliott, uh, the offensive coordinator from Clemson, uh, a guy with a, a tremendous, obviously, offensive. Uh, reputation, but just reputation in general around college football. A first-time head coach, David. We got to to you. You've met him before, but we got to meet him uh, Monday in his introduction. What do you make first and foremost of this hire,
1: Mike? He he. Che- you you talked about checking off your list, and Tony Elliott checks a lot of boxes for UVA as he would had darn near any other school hired him. I mean, he's, he's been at Clemson for 11 seasons and been a part of seven ACC championships and two national titles. He knows what it's like to work with fewer resources. He was an assistant at South Carolina State. He was an assistant at Furman. He knows what it's like to work his way up. He was a walk-on receiver at Clemson who eventually earned a scholarship and became a captain. So this is a guy, as his athletic director at Clemson, Dan Radakovich, told me the other day, this is a guy who took the steps up the ladder. He did not take the elevator. He didn't skip anything, and he has earned everything he's gotten.
0: You know, and it's interesting, David, I had a chance to speak with his wife uh, at the press conference and, you know, he was a a candidate for Tennessee a year ago. He was a candidate for Central Florida back in, I guess it was 2017. He was a candidate for Duke in this cycle. Um, He's had his opportunities and he hasn't been in a big hurry to grab one. And, and, and his wife Tamika actually told me he needed a little prodding was her word (laughs) Mm -hmm. to kind of nudge him towards, Hey, you know, this, you are right for this. You are meant for this. Um, you know, you've talked about and written about, you know, he's a man guided by faith. He's a man shaped by uh, just an incredible life story, but he he also was a man who had a pretty darn good job there at Clemson. Uh, it, it paid well, they were very successful. His relationship with Dabo Sweeney, which he talked about uh, multiple times during Monday's introduction, um, is so strong. Father, son is how they both describe it. Um, So this was not a man who was job hunting, job seeking, um, but he felt like this was the right time for him. And he felt like he was the right fit and UVA was the right fit for him. Uh, I thought, David, he did a good job of explaining why that was the case.
1: I agree. And and Mike, I thought his answer to your question yesterday was interesting and, and very honest. And that had Clemson, as usual, been in the national title hunt and in route to the college football playoff, this probably would not have happened.
0: Yeah, how how wild when you think about uh, the grand scheme of your program and how it fits in, you know, Clemson has a, a down year and I I wrote about this you know, down year at Clemson is um, sort yeah, of what Virginia right, it's what Virginia's striving for. <laughs> it would they would sign up for ten straight down years where you win nine games and <laughs> have a shot at the uh, division title in the final weekend. Um, and one of those losses comes to Georgia uh, in the opener in just an absolutely um, defense dominated but close competitive ball game but uh, David before we go to the future and Antonio at the hire this is all about the future and where they're going let's take a minute and look back and and let's look at the the process that that brought us here and uh, some details that that became public uh, some storylines that may or may not have been true some reports that appear to be completely erroneous but What did you make of uh, the process, the way Carla Williams, in a very challenging kind of job market, what do you make of the way she approached this and and ultimately how she got things done?
1: First of all, Mike, searches are rarely linear. They they tend to veer all over the place as ADs and search firms, although I don't believe UVA retained one, kind of comb through candidates and then other schools are on the market and they might grab someone you were interested in and, and all those things. But I think for a first time athletic director working her first major search, I mean, she, she hired a women's basketball coach, but frankly that's not as pressurized or as public as a a football head coaching search, especially not one as sudden and unexpected as this one, Bronco Mendenhall having resigned back the first week of December. So, I mean, I think she landed well. Might she regret some of the some of the reporting that was done? Perhaps, but that's out of her control. Um, was she kind of public about flying Tony Elliott to Charlottesville with his family on a jet that? half the world was tracking <laughs> as it took off and landed and eh, you know maybe that's a rookie mistake but but otherwise you know she she did her due diligence and found what from all accounts is a heck of a football coach
0: if you get bogged down in, in maybe the details you can nitpick this or that i look at the big picture david and the, and the vibe and and we don't know this for sure but the vibe i get is that she went into this search with Tony Elliott at or or darn near the top of her list. She interviewed him first by Zoom. She came away impressed. She continued doing her work, doing her research, doing her, as you said, due diligence, came back to Tony Elliott, brought him in in person, and got the deal done. I I mean, I know there's so many stories. And and if you're a fan, I get it, man. You're following every twist and turn and where are we going and what's happening next. I think if uh, if you get the Cliff Notes version of this hire... I think Carla Williams gets really high grades. I think she identified early the guy who was going to be the best target. She got in contact with him, the zoom interview early, uh, got the groundwork there and then sealed the deal. And, um, like you said, it, it doesn't have to be this linear. It isn't always kind of the way sometimes we view it is I want to hire David Teal. So I interview David Teal and I negotiate with David Teal. And then if it doesn't work, I scrap that and I'm on to plan B and, um, I think that's perception, and I just think, as you said, it's not the case. It's not the way these things are done. I I think not interviewing Anthony Poindexter, especially when they're all out uh, there in, in Vegas for his Hall of Fame induction, would have been perceived as a slight. Um, mm-hmm. we, we don't know exactly how things went there, but you know, there's this narrative out there, and I talked to, to former players, and I'm, I'm writing about this today. The idea that they won Anthony Poindexter, which a lot of them did. A lot of them voiced their support for, uh, their love for Anthony Poindexter, a former Virginia All-American who turned in, you know, one of the all-time great plays in program history. Uh, but Chris Long said this to me yesterday. He said, you know, it's not an either-or situation. It's not like we support and love Anthony Poindexter So we don't want anyone else. And um, he said he's really excited for Tony Elliott. And and what Chris told me was, you know, in football, all you have is your reputation. And and reputations are so important, he said in football, that even though a bunch of the guys didn't know Tony Elliott and had never met Tony Elliott, they all knew somebody who played for him, who coached with him, who had that connection. And, And what Chris Long said was, if I know you and I trust you and I love you and you tell me, you know, and love and trust Tony Elliott. That's the sign-off right there. That That's mm-hmm. what makes it all okay. And uh, Sean Moore, uh, Chris Slade, they were all on hand. And they all said the same thing. Hey, man, love Anthony Poindexter. Would love to see him uh, at Virginia in, in some capacity at some point. That didn't happen. Excited about Tony Elliott, and they think this is a great hire. So uh, do you think that the Poindexter talk uh, and the narrative and the stories that were out there, did that take away some of, of the luster of, of this hire? Or is that a very specific kind of audience and narrative there that that plays to?
1: I think the latter. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think t- in, in, in some t- to some, the disappointment of not seeing Anthony Poindexter introduced as head coach, one of their own, takes away from the, the Tony Elliott choice. But I think any open-minded, reasonable, fair-minded person would would take a look at it and say, you know, first of all, the interview is paramount. We have to trust our athletic director. She met with both. She made her choice. She listened to their visions and felt more of a kinship and connection with Tony Elliott. And if you look at their credentials, and this is no-knock on Anthony Poindexter, Tony Elliott's got better credentials. He's got a better resume. He's accomplished more. Yeah, he didn't do that. it in a Virginia, he didn't do it in a Virginia uniform as a player, but as a coach, it, to me it's it's not even really close.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and Besides, Tony Elliott was wearing orange, so that's got to <laughs> count for something. But um, you, More you important, good... Mike, he was wearing two rings. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're looking at. Um, but you bring up another good point, too, uh, David, which is Carla Williams, at least the people who were on hand. Um, and again, I, I spoke to Chris Long and uh, Chris Slade and Sean Moore. Um, Carla Williams has very high marks from them. They're very confident in her. Uh, They believe in her vision. They really like her as a person and an athletic director. Um, I I, I believe it was Chris Long who said to me, you know, at the end of the day, I was going to be excited about whoever Carla Williams brought in because of how much confidence he had in her. He said... "Um, I'm trying to find the exact quote. He said, I'd be excited no matter who Carla hired, because I believe in Carla Williams. I really do. I think the world of her, and I think she's going to get us to a place, along with Tony Elliott, where we can be proud of not just the school, but also the football program. So that's kind of the the take I got from the former players. And certainly, again, these are the ones who chose to show up and be supportive. Um, but was that faith in Carla Williams, excitement about Tony Elliott, uh, the past is the past, and and let's go forward.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, it, it, it. these searches are so stressful on ADs. I mean, Nina King at Duke did their press conference yesterday and in introducing Mike Elko, the Blue Devils' new coach. <clears throat> and she talked about being on the road with Art Chase, her, her senior associate. And one night they're eating peanut M&Ms for dinner. I mean, the, the, that's all they had time to do is they're going over spreadsheets and they're vetting candidates and they're taking phone calls and they're texting people. And I, it is it is some seriously, seriously anxious moments as you go through these searches.
0: Yeah, college football coaches all across the country hear that anecdote and say, welcome to our recruiting lives, <laughs> e- <laughs> right. eating peanut M&Ms and pouring over spreadsheets and figuring out where to go next. And uh, no, it, it is, it, and it's been a particularly interesting, <laughs> interesting for us, stressful probably for people like Carla Williams, time with, with so many moving pieces and um, you know just so much uh, movement, yes, and, and so many other issues out there. And you know, honestly, one of the things that I think Carla Williams was, if you want to call hiring a coach recruiting, r- recruiting against was, you know, Virginia's facilities, the um, the perception that the school isn't doing enough to support the program and the reality that the facilities aren't where they need to be. The budget isn't up to snuff with, with their peers. Um, I asked them both about that at the press conference. And I, Carla Williams said, she said, you know, my staff gets on me for being too blunt. But mm-hmm. uh, she said, I sent him pictures before he ever came here of what we're working with. And how big of an issue do you think that was, could have been in, in negotiating with Tony Elliott? And more importantly, David, how big of an issue is it for him, if he's going to be successful, to, to try to win with, with what they have right now?
1: I think it's a, I think it's a bigger issue moving forward. I don't know that it was that. Large deal uh, in the negotiations, Mike. You know, much has been made that the Board of Visitors freed up ten million dollars, just kind of a movement of funds that the athletic department now has access to as it seeks to build this football complex that'll cost upwards of sixty million. But that was a fait accompli beforehand. That was going to happen. So I don't think Tony Elliott's decision in any way rested on that board of visitors vote. I think that was very coincidental. Um, certainly not purposeful in, in its timing. But there's no doubt that Virginia's facilities are substandard and they, they have to be fixed. And if not then you are looking at a a serious, serious impediment to long-term success of the program. There's just no getting around it.
0: It will certainly be interesting. We were were there near some of the facilities, right? Right between the McHugh Center, which is three decades old, and the George Welsh Indoor Facility, which I think that is a a facility that they're fine with, the new practice fields. And uh, that brings us kind of nicely to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. All
1: right, let's take it or leave it. In a unique twist, UVA held its introductory press conference for Tony Elliott outdoors. So take it or leave it, outdoor press conferences in December in Virginia. Let's start with David. I will take it only because I'm giving UVA a pass because it's a pandemic. And they didn't want to have everybody in masks because it wouldn't make for very good television. And since everything is a television show and it's all about optics and they knew it was going to be fairly reasonable temperature wise, they said, hey, let's do this outside. So I was okay with it. But once the pandemic passes, so too outdoor press conferences in December.
0: Good take, David. Mike? Yeah, December isn't what it was when I was a kid, right? When I was a kid, December was always freezing and lots of snow, and um, we've moved to December being a little bit more manageable. My biggest objection was the sun in our eyes, David, which, in an attempt to not seem rude, I, I didn't want to shield my face or, or have one eye shut when I was asking questions, but. Uh, The first 30 minutes or so of that Q&A was spent with the sun directly over the stage uh, at Tony Elliott and Carla Williams back and just shining into the eyes of those of us who were uh, trying to ask our questions and and have some kind of uh, exchange there. So, I'm okay with the December because December isn't what it used to be. Uh, and I do appreciate, you know, wanting to do something uh, the best way possible involve the most people possible. Um, we just talked about the importance of reaching out to alumni and connecting with former players and how they're, you know, how many people can you get and doing it outside uh, in the pandemic makes sense. But next time, a little more thought about get out your sundial and <laughs> maybe figure out that angle. Cause that part I struggled with a bit. Now, David, David, All the football news out of Charlottesville and Blacksburg, uh, the hirings there, those have been nice distractions from what's been, honestly, a pretty disappointing start to the basketball season for both of these teams, teams that you and I had and and maybe still have uh, high hopes for. Let's start with Virginia Tech and and a team that, um, for a cold take, exposed like they like to do on, on the internet, I thought would be excellent out of the gate and have a lot of success before we got to January 1st because of of the veteran nature of the lineup. The Hokies have stumbled some.
1: Mike, they have, and and, and two things. One, in your defense, you you did say, yes, I expect Virginia Tech to start fast, but you did say you had concerns about the Hokies' depth. And what's been a problem? Depth. So you're okay there. And, and, and number two, Virginia and Virginia Tech aren't the only teams in this league struggling. I, I crunched some numbers this morning. Right now, the ACC's 15 teams are a combined 84 and 47 in non-conference play. Mm. In 2019-20, which is the last time you can make a valid comparison because last year there was such limited and scattered non-conference play in 2019-20 the ACC's non-conference record was 126 and 47 same number of losses so all the ACC teams have to do now is win 42 consecutive non-conference <laughs> games to be as good as they were two seasons ago
0: no, I have full confidence that, in them to do that
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's not a good place to be in no. and, and Virginia Tech and Virginia have been front and center in, in those disappointing starts. And as as I was talking with some folks yesterday, look at the Hokies' next three games. In Charlotte against St. Bonaventure, the defending A-10 champion and preseason favorite at Duke at Carolina. Yeah. The,
0: the tobacco Yikes. road stretch was one I think we had circled before the year ever started. Um, but now it feels, I mean, potentially pivotal. And, and, and David... The Dayton loss, the, the most recent, sixty-two fifty-seven, 57 fell behind early, kind of came back into it. It ends up being a competitive game. Uh, you look at the, the loss to Xavier uh, in Brooklyn, certainly a competitive game. Even the loss in Brooklyn to Memphis, I, I thought was, for the most part, a competitive game. I think the most concerning defeat that we've seen. Wake Forest. Wake Forest in Blacksburg. Your conference opener, you lose 80 to 61. David, I, I know we're talking about you know how they stack up with non-conference, and, and that's certainly going to be important when you get to uh, potential NCA bid time if, if we're still talking about that in a few months. But that loss to Wake Forest was the biggest red flag for me.
1: Well, I, I feel badly because it's almost like I jinxed Virginia Tech <laughs> because I was standing with Mike Young at Brent Prize introduction. And as you'll recall, this was the morning after Virginia Tech had won at Maryland mm-hmm. in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And it was an ugly game. The Hokies didn't shoot well. But they guarded like crazy. And they had been guarding like crazy. And opponents were shooting 20-something percent beyond the arc against Virginia Tech. And what happens in that Wake Forest game? I mean, the Deacons went Great. Mike, they shot like 63% for the game. It, I, I was, I'm watching on TV. I'm like, what happened?
0: Yeah. And, and this is, you know, it's interesting because we did, you, you, talk, you mentioned the depth, which I had talked about. And I still feel like that first five, you, you feel good. But when you talk about defense and, and defense, I don't want to say slacking off, but defense uh, not maintaining that level of what we saw in that Maryland game. I think that's where depth shows up. Right. Because if you've got guys and and, um, I think these I think these numbers are still right. But uh, Naheem Aline was averaging 33 minutes, 33 plus minutes a game. Hunter Couture, 31. Um, And then I think Aluma and Murphy and Mutz are all right at 28. Mutz might have been 27. But the point is, they're all playing a ton of minutes, those core guys. And that takes its toll. And I think where that shows up a lot is on the defensive end, where so much of it is effort. Right. So much of it is, are you going to stay in your stance? Are you going to move your feet? Are you going to keep with in front of your guy and all those things? And um, I don't think people are playing badly on this team, but I think that they've got to get some other guys up faster here. And we've seen Sean Padula uh, do some th- good things. We've seen David Gasson do Gasson, some good things. Yeah. Uh, Darius Maddox, I think we've seen do some good things. But I, I think they really need one of those guys to be a 20-minute type guy if this is going to be sustainable.
1: No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, much like he was last season, Nahim Aleen is just such a streaky <laughs> shooter. And when, when he's on, I mean, he is, he is hot, but man, he can go one for 12 in a heartbeat and shoot you out of a game.
0: Yeah. And, and right now they can't sustain, uh, maintain that. They can't, um, have that and still win, still be competitive, and it's early, right? And, and the weight loss, yeah, like I said, it was a major red flag for me. But um, they're going to have a chance, certainly, to turn this thing around. And um, as long as they stay healthy, you assume they have a chance to do it. And um, but right now, just tech not where I thought they would be. Virginia is an interesting flip of that coin because I thought they would struggle early, and they're bringing in a lot of new faces. Tony Bennett keeps talking about the newness of the team. They open with the loss to Navy. Uh, and you thought, okay, maybe this is going to be a, a rocky opening. It's, it's what we maybe signed up for. And then, you know, they look good against Radford. Um, and then not competitive in the game at Houston. Um, and you think, okay, maybe this won't be an elite team or an elite defensive team. And uh, then they go up to New Jersey, David, and and looked really good against Georgia and Providence. They held Providence to, what, 40 points in, in that uh, second yeah. game up there. Um and, and you thought, OK, maybe this is the last stretch of games has been uh, maybe exactly what Tony Bennett means when he says everything's got to be a little closer to the vest with this team. Every possession matters. They lose at home to Iowa by a point. They beat Pitt in their ACC opener. By a point. And then they lose at James Madison by three in a game that was wildly entertaining, but just bizarre, (laughs) kind of the way it played out, because UVA was the dominant team for the first eight minutes. uh, And then it appeared that JMU was just going to absolutely blow them out of the gym there in Harrisonburg. Uh, And then UVA gets back in it and, and down, and with the crowd all over them, starts playing with confidence. Uh, offensively, and ends up losing by three. So three close ones. What are we making of Virginia at, at this moment?
1: Can't shoot. I mean, <laughs> yeah. r- really, especially from deep. I mean, they're 272nd in the country in three-point accuracy. I mean, I I know beyond the arc is not the be-all, end-all, but when you're not as good defensively as you're accustomed to, and clearly the Cavaliers are not as of yet, they're 48th nationally in defensive efficiency, 272nd in the country, in three-point accuracy will not suffice.
0: You know, we talked a lot about being excited about what what Jaden Gardner was was going to bring to this team, but part of Jaden Gardner's offensive game really can only be dominant when you have that outside threat, right? Mm-hmm. Because if people can just post trap, you know, double up on on him in the paint, he's going to have to pass it out. And now he's passing it out to guys who can't knock down shots. Armand Franklin, the transfer from Indiana, he's missed 18 straight three-point attempts. This is a kid who shot over 42% from three at Indiana. He's at 20% here at Virginia. He's 11 for 54. Um, he's done some other things, and it reminds me a little bit a year ago, David, of Sam Hauser. And and everybody talked about Sam Hauser's three-point percentage at Marquette and how he was going to instantly bring that perimeter pop for UVA. And Sam Hauser couldn't throw it in the ocean off a boat for the first month of the season last year but sam hauser did a lot of really good things in other places scoring at the high post passing the ball rebounding Um, i think they need that from franklin from beekman some of these other guys who hey if you're not knocking down your shots you've got to find another way to score because it can't just be Jaden gardner because people know to double him when nobody's hitting shots
1: no question it, it's not like Jaden gardner is so tall that he can just go up over post traps and such i mean he's an undersized four so that makes his, his challenge even more difficult and i'm sitting here mike looking at ken palm's site and it, it's all projection and such but 16 and 14, 10 and 10 in the ACC is the projection for UVA.
0: Now, and I do think that we have probably had this conversation before with Tony Bennett teams. And then by March, they're up near the top of the ACC. They're up near the top of the nation in defense. And um, I think he's earned our, our confidence that he's going to figure some things out. But I also think it's fair to point, I, I think he has fewer pieces right now. To move with. Now, maybe as the year goes on, Tane Murray, who's given them some good minutes, or Igor Milicic Jr., who's given them some good minutes, Carson McCorkle uh, has had a couple games where he's given them really good minutes. Maybe as those guys come along, they're able to craft something that that more more better resembles an ACC level offense. But um, right now, it, it feels like it's either Gardner on the low block. Or Hay Clark being effectively disrespected <laughs> from the arc, and then knocking down threes. Those seem to be the two go-to scoring options for Virginia.
1: It does, and you know the, the start of of well the restart of the ACC schedule is is curious because they get Clemson twice in the first three games. It you know, goes home against Clemson at Syracuse at Clemson. So is that a chance to maybe gather some momentum, maybe be 4-0 in the league after having already beaten Pitt? I don't know.
0: It does feel like, you know, we talked about that wake loss for Virginia Tech. It does feel like that Pitt win, even though it wasn't a thing of beauty and, and um, it won't be, you know, hanging up in, in Tony Bennett's uh, den there, a portrait of that game. Um it feels like that could be crucial because if you do have success coming up against the Clemson's and Syracuse, um, okay, now it's like we're getting into form and we have a chance to really do something decent in the ACC. You know, UVA won the ACC regular season title a yeah. year ago. Um, people forget because uh, with the COVID stuff, they got you know sent home from the ACC tournament and then not being able to practice, they're out in the first round. But uh, they won the ACC. It was a down year. Well, guess what? I think it's a down year again. In the ACC. Oh, Your it, numbers may, it you, may be worse. Yeah, the numbers you crunched really lay that out. So if Tony Bennett can find a way to win ugly games against middle-of-the-pack ACC teams, that's that's going to be worth a lot this year.
1: It, it absolutely is. What will be interesting is how that will translate to the NCAA's evaluation tool, the, the net As as they call it, which the committee uses to select the field, and might the ACC now? Hey, it's only mid December, but the ACC could be looking at historically low representation in the field of 68.
0: Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. You know, we did those segments with Aaron McFarling about um, spreads and and uh, you know projections and predictions and sports betting, and we always talked a lot about how quickly was Vegas adjusting to what was happening on the field. And, and I'll be curious when you talk about the NCA committee, you know, a year ago, I think the ACC, even though it was down, still got a lot of the benefit of the doubt, right? Like we can crunch the numbers and say they're down, but I think people still thought, Hey, it's the ACC two years in a row. Do we start to see people adjust and, and say, well, winning in the ACC maybe doesn't mean as much. And, and, um, uh, and not that the league won't be back and not that these programs can't be great again, but for right now, 20 wins in the ACC, probably not a, not the benchmark that it used to be where you'd think, hey, if you win 20 games and you're an ACC team, you're a lock for March Madness.
1: Agreed. And Mike, I'll throw a question out to you. Who's the third best team in the ACC
0: right now? <laughs> it, which is a great question because it, it was, was it last show or two shows ago that we were talking about who's the second best team? And mm-hmm. I proudly proclaim that florida state to me <laughs> was the was the oh. second best team and that they were going to be the team that you know, has a chance to upset duke and tend to be the champion and all that and then if you if you remember the timing it was either that night right david or the next yes, night it was that that they night. played purdue and just got smacked around so um, yeah. there's another one of those cult takes exposed so i it's going to be interesting. I still think, obviously, Duke is is number one.
1: Carolina, too.
0: As I say, Carolina's sort of proven itself early on here to be two. Where do you go after that? I still think Florida State writes the ship and gets there. Um, I think my early faith in Notre Dame was clearly misplaced. <laughs> um, Although,
1: hey, the Irish over Kentucky on... On
0: Saturday, that was and a was nice win for Mike Bray's bunch. It's a huge win, and it's one of those things that tells me maybe we are overreacting, um, but I I don't think so. I, I look at the middle of the pack. I mean, NC State had a chance to, to, to really yeah. put itself in the conversation and then just gacked up uh, that game against Purdue. And um, so I'm sticking with Florida State, even though that's hard to do when they're five and four and um, they've already lost one right in the conference. David, they're zero and one. Mike, since
1: you put the kibosh on them, that the, the barber hex—they have lost to Purdue by twenty-eight, <laughs> lost at home to Syracuse, ending their—that's right—I think it was twenty-five game home winning streak, and then lost to a very iffy South Carolina team. So the Knolls are on a three-game slide, thanks to you.
0: The, and But since it's all my fault, I'm going to have to die on that hill. And I, I think that <laughs> – I, I, and also, David, as you keep rough, I think that there's – I don't think the competition for that third spot is particularly stiff. Right. I think it's a big field because there's a lot of teams in there. Um, NC State, I think, has a chance. But to me, it, it's still Florida State. Um, I think they get that thing figured out.
1: Leonard Hamilton's been known to do it before.
0: That's what we're betting on. You know, they always talk about great coaching in the ACC. I think that's what we're betting on right now. Uh, and I do think, I, I think Virginia and Virginia Tech are both in good hands. Those teams, they won't play each other on the floor uh, until January. So we're uh, January 12th, I think is the first meeting. We're about yeah. a month away from that. Uh, but that does bring us to this week's edition of Who You Got.
1: Thank you, Mike. Two teams in the Commonwealth and the ACC, UVA or Virginia Tech. Now here's Who You Got. UVA or Virginia Tech should be more worried at this point. Who you got? Let's start with Mike.
0: I've got to say it's Virginia. I've got to say it's Virginia because I don't see the solution. We we talked about tech in the depth, but I think there are some guys who are coming on and uh, can give them more minutes. I think if they stay healthy, you you can get through. Um, Does it prevent them from being elite? Maybe. But I look at Virginia and I don't see a solution for the offensive woes. Even if Armand Franklin gets going and it becomes a weapon from outside, I just have my doubts about their scoring. I think they're going to get it figured out defensively. I don't think they're going to be terrible, but I just don't see that offense having any answers in it, even if we think Franklin's going to get it going from beyond the arc. So right now, who am I more worried about? I'm more worried about Virginia because I look at that roster and I don't see the solution. I don't see the way to turn it around. Thanks Mike. David.
1: Well, for the for the sake of argument, I'm going to run counter to Mike, but I'm going to use your theory in in that Virginia Tech should be the team that got out of the gate faster with I- its experience and really hasn't. And oh, by the way, has that rough stretch coming up that we just referenced with games against St. Bonaventure, Duke, and Carolina. And I just, you know, the the Hokies have to figure out a way, uh, as we mentioned earlier, to get some help for that starting group and just to be able to find enough offense to complement the defense that other than Wake Forest has been pretty darn good.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, we talk about depth. We talk about getting help. And that kind of brings us to the fact that amidst everything else that is happening, and and we started with the football hirings, and and now we're talking about basketball and and getting underway in conference games. This week, we have National Signing Day for the football programs, early signing day. Um, And what a fascinating early signing day this figures to be in the Commonwealth where you had Justin Fuente fired in mid-November. That sends a lot of those recruits into, I don't know, think twice mode um, in a bit of a holding pattern. Who's going to get hired. Then pry gets hired. He has what we've heard from all accounts was a very successful uh, zoom call with, with those commits um, retaining JC price there. Oh, I, I think big is move. A huge. There, yeah, I think that's huge. I, I think, um, it gave kids the sense that we're still committing to the same program in the same school, even though it's not the same coach. And um, that's so valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, some kids are committed to the coach. And I think we see that more at UVA where, and, and I know you pointed this out to me this morning, that, you know, three of the guys who have decommitted for UVA are Utah guys. And David, where are they going now? Mm, Bringing Right. So obviously that was the connection with Bronco Mendenhall and yeah. his surprising decision to step away. And it's it's another spot where the timing of Bronco's decision you know, really put Virginia in a bind, right? Yes. Because um, essentially he stepped away. They started their search. Next thing you know, you're, you're in the dead period um, and there's nothing you can do. And um, at last check, beyond the, the 14 players that are in the transfer portal at Virginia, They've had five players decommit from this class. That The three I mentioned from, from Utah, that group also includes uh, Keyshawn Burgos from Chesterfield, the defensive end, edge rusher, uh, and a bunch of those prospects, David. It sounds like Virginia Techs might be working their way in with. It,
1: it does. Um, you, you, you mentioned Burgess, and, and there's also the offensive lineman, Brody Meadows, uh, both of whom are expected to eventually sign with Virginia Tech and Meadows would give the Hokies six offensive linemen in this class and leave the Cavaliers with none and Mike there was a there was another Virginia decommit last night which, was long expected even before Bronco's resignation, and that's the safety yeah. Will Hardy out of Georgia, who's going to now go to North Carolina. So not only is Virginia losing commitments, losing at least three to Coastal Division rivals.
0: Yeah, that Mac Brown uh, continuing to have success there on the recruiting front. Losing recruits to Tech is never good. And they'll forget, too, uh, Gentry. The, the offensive lineman who was right. on the mission has, uh decommitted and will be now going to Michigan. So uh, and Michigan hosted while while they're at it hosted uh, Olu Olu with uh, the the starting yes. center from Virginia. Uh, they hosted him on Sunday. Yeah, you talked visit. to him
1: yesterday, didn't you, Mike?
0: I did. I talked to him for a bunch, and and he was <laughs> he's such a good kid, and and he he sort of got this bashful smile, like oh man, you guys know about about that. Uh, but he told me he's very much still considering staying at Virginia. He liked what he heard from Tony Elliott. Um, but he also had a great visit at Michigan. And he's very mm-hmm. opening, open to, to finishing his uh, career there. He's such an interesting story because he went to Air Force uh, initially. He was not r- really recruited much at all. He walked on at UVA initially. So it wasn't like people were falling over themselves. He said this is the first time he's really felt the love <laughs> and people really okay hey that, that kid can play and um so i think he's enjoying that part of it um with, with the perspective of an older guy who knows what it is he wants and um he was quick to say that he, he's far from ruling out staying at virginia and he is 100 he told me committed to playing in the bowl game um he said bronco mendenhall's last game that's my guy there's no way i'm missing that um, another guy who's not going to miss that game is the quarterback, Brennan Armstrong. And I, I spoke to him yesterday and he told me, Hey, I'm not considering transferring anywhere. If I'm not at Virginia next year, it's cause I'm in the NFL. NFL. So, um, yeah. he has filed the paperwork. We're about a week away. He expects from, from getting, uh, his grade back from that NFL draft advisory board, which unless they've changed things, David, it's they, they tell them you're a first round pick second round pick, uh, or a later round pick. And that's the extent of it. And the sense I got from Brennan was, if he's a later round pick, he's going to come back and play college football. And he was adamant that if he comes back to play college football, that will be at UVA. So I I think that's potentially very good news for for Tony Elliott.
1: Agreed. And, And speaking of, number one, you mentioned Michigan, which hosted Olu, and you mentioned quarterbacks with Brennan Armstrong. Michigan is apparently making a big push for the centerpiece quarterback of Virginia Tech's Recruiting class, Alex Orgy out of Texas, but what our friend Annie Bitter at the Athletic pointed out in a piece this morning is that Chris Marv, who is Virginia Tech's new defensive coordinator under Brent Pry, having come in from Florida State, when he was at Vanderbilt, he signed Orgy's two older brothers. <laughs> so that's an interesting connection that may help the Hokies uh retain the the primary quarterback in this recruiting class and right now that tech class i believe is still ranked among the top 20 nationally
0: And, and you know another connection pry was at penn state and penn state's got one of its young quarterbacks in the transfer portal right now as well so um It's another thing to keep an eye out on as as both these coaches really uh, are are tasked with effectively uh, remaking their rosters. And before we get done, we would be remiss to not mention Shane Beamer, uh, our our good friend, who's now the head coach at South Carolina. He plucked himself a a pretty uh, recognizable name for the quarterback position, didn't he?
1: Spencer Rattler, whom Shane recruited to Oklahoma. And uh, connections and recruiting mean everything and Shane mined that one quite effectively.
0: Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. I, I had a coach a long time ago, a division three basketball coach told me, you know, a lot of times he would lose out on a recruit to a, a bigger program, a more successful program, a higher level program, and he said, I always made sure that, that things ended on, on a good note, that I ended it with, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was happy to get to know the kid, happy to get to know his family, wish him well, I'll, I'll be rooting for you. Because you never know, and it, with the transfer portal that's true now more than ever, you never know when it's going to come back around and that relationship is, is going to pay dividends and um uh, Certainly that's been the case for Shane because I believe he's got three or four now former Oklahoma guys uh, headed his way to, to bolster what he's doing at South Carolina where he's already got them bowl eligible in year one.
1: Yeah, playing, playing the aforementioned Mac Brown in, in, in North Carolina and the Duke's Mayo Bowl.
0: North Carolina, South Carolina, mayonnaise. What more could you ask for? Well, <laughs> thanks for listening. You could subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to The Times Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at Richmond.com. And as always, it makes a great holiday gift for the people in your life who you want to see be informed the show was produced by dean hoffmeyer teal and barber is a podcast of the richmond times dispatch and richmond.com for david teal i'm mike barber thanks for listening be healthy and safe happy holidays and please join david and me again next time